didn't see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot. Paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. The beginning of a new world. <laughs> the best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is, is the Blackout Black Report. Report. See you on the other side. If the sky cracked and another world opened up, what would you do? Even if you were surrounded by a town of people all witnesses to what happened, no one would have the same words you would find when you try to describe the strange terror you witnessed. This week, we bring you a story so widely reported yet so buried in the dust, you'll think you were hanging out with Stanton Friedman as he cracked open Roswell. This is the Pemex UFO incident, and we are the Black Cat Report. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the Black Cat Report. Today, I'm joined with the beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous, incredible Bon Bon, who's sitting in the studio along with Betsabe. Hola. Meow. And Joey. Hello. And, uh, yeah. My name's Gil, and for today, um, for today's episode, we are going to be covering the Pemex UFO incident, which is seriously such an obscure case. I literally had to pay for translation software just to understand what the hell was going on with it. But once I once I caught a brief, once I caught an understanding of just what the timeline of events were, I I couldn't turn away. I had to deliver it, and. So with that said, our main source today is going to be the absolutely incredible and my new ufology crush, Carlos Alberto Guzman Rojas, or as you'll be able to search him online, Carlos Guzman. Um, this dude is a hidden gem. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like he, his research style, his research quality, the way he approaches everything is so so logical yet so based in like pursuing ufology pursuing the paranormal that i've i've fallen head over heels for this man i'm not gonna lie like i've been watching his videos they have absolutely horrible audio for a gringo like me who like uh can't understand spanish right um like i I have no idea what's going on. I've been trying to read the subtitles. I can barely understand it. But for, for a Spanish-speaking audience, which I know is out there, um, hit him up. And just on that note, the entire playlist for our main resource for this episode um, is going to be in the show notes. I made a separate public playlist. It's um, it's going to be labeled as the Pemex UFO incident. You can go find him there. Seriously, follow this dude. He's active. He's doing like absolutely incredible work and um for my own selfish reasons god damn it i can't wait until his stuff gets translated to english because i know he has a lot more to say than what google translate has to offer anyways with all that said i'm going to bring you into the story so ciudad pemex literally means pemex city right well Pemex is Betsabe. Do you want to explain being from Mexico? As Bonbon slowly gets <laughs> out of your lap. So Pemex is like the most famous oil company that we have in Mexico. Kind of like, I don't know, the 
Shell station here. Is Shell like a company, like an oil company? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like Pemex is the most famous oil company that we have in Mexico. They pretty much, uh, I think it's actually like the only one that we have now that I think about it. I've only <laughs> seen like, like whenever we go get gas, like I've only seen Pemex. Um, so Petróleos Mexicanos, right? It is the state-owned uh, oil company of Mexico. Why am I telling all of this? Because really Ciudad Pemex, <laughs> because Ciudad Pemex, uh, Pemex City, was literally founded in the 50s, right? Um, as a company town for Pemex oil. They discovered a, a large reservoir of, of oil and natural gas and quite literally built a town in the southeastern part of Mexico in order to house all the workers that they would need there. This is the most classic case of a company town if there's ever been one, right? I mean, the town's literally named Pemex. Um, so <laughs> yes. it's, it's very like, if you live there, you work for the town. That, that's it. Right to the so, point. Yeah. While the stories in the very public display of evidence surrounding the Pemex UFO incident are fascinating, one key thing, one major thing stands out. So many people in this town have such a widely different set of claims. The, the evidence, it, it all pointed to was, it seemed to be unrelated, right? So folks were saying they found this. Folks were saying that they saw this. Folks were saying, you know, this time, that time, all these other things. And for, for a ufologist, for a researcher even, um, trying to collect these witness testimonies is, is maddening. Right. Everybody's saying everything. There's two or three people all agreeing to the same facts, but these two don't agree with these two, and these two don't agree with these two. And you're talking about like a single day. Well, as I said, so it's been nearly impossible to digest. The story has either asked you to um, ignore the entire case or to swallow a crazy pill because you're in for a ride, right? I'm talking everything from eight-foot-tall, ostrich-looking chicken aliens, the men in black, poisonous slime seeping into the city's water, an Air Force base having an open shootout with a fleet of saucers during a thunderstorm, oh giant three-toed white <laughs> figures roaming town at night, reptilians, mass, mass hysteria, pretty much like almost anything that you can name, right, in the world of the paranormal, in the world of the strange, like th that theory, that story, that idea has been applied to what happened in Ciudad Pemex, right? Well, here's the catch. Well, 90% of the wild conflicting stories that have been copied and regurgitated about the events are wrong. The real story, at least the closest thing to the real story found so far, is 90% more wild and makes, honestly, 100% more sense than the one that has been told in the mainstream news sources across Mexico and, in some sense, across the world since the 1970s. To help explain what I mean by this, I want to take you to the weeks leading up to the Pemex UFO incident, more specifically to the newspaper articles Carlos Guzman discovered when researching it. Weeks before the incident, 
right? So Carlos Guzman, he was digging through the newspaper archives, looking for clues that might help him get a better understanding of the details surrounding the June 1st event. He started to dig backwards and around, shuffling through articles of local and regional newspapers for weeks before June 1st, 1973. That's when he came across something odd, something that actually perfectly connected the wild differences in testimony and evidence the story is known for. What he discovered was that in the weeks leading up to the Pemex UFO incident, a, quote, strange animal went through some ranchero sowing terror, end quote. And during this time, the unknown animal was even reported to have directly attacked people. Now, what does this mean? Tying this all together, you literally get what I now realize is my wet dream as a researcher. <laughs> wow. You see, while researching this forgotten but incredible mass UFO sighting, Guzman discovered that at the same time it happened, there was also an unknown cryptid on the loose. I have been digging into this for a long time now, and I'm literally going to tell you that is the most rational explanation, and it makes sense with what's about to happen. So, some of the facts, some of the more wild stories tied to the Pemex incident actually might be true, but not at all in the way they've been previously told. The week before the incident. Now, as for the week leading up to the main event, the city of Pemex became awash in strange lights appearing in the evening sky, not just a few times, but nightly in random places at random times. It quickly became normal and even expected that if you looked up in the night sky at night, strange things would be seen flying around. This became so common that basically like it, it became a, a quick culture for kids around town to go out into the evenings and basically stay up late, running around with binoculars and trying to look for something strange appearing in the sky. It was normal to be like, hey, mom, we're going out with so-and-so and we're going to go look for the lights. Like, that was a thing that picked up in this town. Well, <laughs> if anybody else caught that, this should raise some flags for fellow UFO enthusiasts about what might come next. So, with the violent cryptid on the loose and wild lights moving through the evening sky, we're finally ready to realize just what happened at Ciudad Pemex on June 1st, 1973, and why it's been so hard for people to, to understand and, frankly, has been ignored for so long. On June 1st, 1973, residents of the small town of Pemex would face a wild series of events that, to this day, are still stuck with all of them. And while some can deny some of the events, none of them can deny all of the events. So our story starts off sometime between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. It was then that most agree all hell broke loose, and none say all was normal. When it started, some say they remember coming home, others still at work, some in bed, but what ties all of them together was the crash. Not of an object, but of the wind. The 
like a switch was turned on. The branches of the trees sounded like knives slapping against each other. The air was violently thrashing against everything with the power of a tornado if it had come down everywhere at the same time. People outside ran as fast as they could for the nearest cover while those inside ran to look out the window to see what the hell was going on. In no time, this intense wind knocked down power lines and the town went into a blackout. That's when the third event happened. The storm. Just as sudden as the wind hit, so too did an unholy downfall of rain begin to pour. Like slitting the bottom of a Ziploc bag filled with water, the sky opened up to show the bottom of the ocean falling on top of them. Everybody, everybody, regardless of who was skeptical of that day or not, was in shock. They were in fear. Stories around this moment are consistent. People were scared to death. Mothers and grandmas were lighting candles, not for the light, but for the Lord. Kids were crying and the adults were praying. Then, after a very, very long 15 minutes of pure terror, the rain stopped. And all this, all of this, led up to one of the strangest phenomenon I've ever heard spoken of, something I honestly didn't even think could happen. With the world seeming to have finally calmed down, residents naturally walked over to their windows, scared of what they might see but encouraged by the silence. Looking out into the night, witnesses would report seeing intense red, orange, blue, green lightning that was now ripping across the sky. But after the initial moments of captivation, a new element came into play, you see. It was during this display of colorful lightning that people began to notice there was movement. To quote a man telling the story about what him and his wife experienced at night, quote, At 10 or 10.30, Maricela, who couldn't sleep, comes up with the idea of leaning out the window, and she screams tremendously. I got up. It turns out that between the lightning, you could see lights moving from one side to the other, but they weren't airplanes. They were like balls of fire of different colors that danced between the rays, While a number of witness testimonies corroborate seeing different points in our next event, two stand out in a particular way for being the glue holding everything together and relating all of the details to a majority of all of these fragmented stories. In other words, while a lot of people all over town saw something, a few people saw everything. (laughs) So, while working the night shift at Pemex, two older men were charged with going out to check on the wells near the facility's runway. As they were running their checks, they noticed that far down at the other end of the runway, at the very end of the landing strip, there was an object slowly coming down to land. Not in a long descent, like a plane coming in, but in a slow, very intentional, vertical path towards the ground. Then, a little while after they saw it land, they also witnessed it lift, rising vertically before taking off into the distance. Next we go to Arturo Vadillo Perez. 
When he was about 14 years old, Arturo was working as a firefighting assistant at the Pemex facility, which basically meant that along with keeping an eye out for safety hazard, uh, he would also be stationed with workers who were doing things around the plant that might cause, you know, the whole plant to blow up. Specifically, he was charged with standing near um, uh, anything that could cause a spark, anything that uh, could cause a flame to kick up, and to use his incredibly expensive fire extinguisher to put it out. That was his job. Well, on the night of the event, on the night of June 1st, Arturo, fire extinguisher in hand, was focused intently, keeping close watch on the sparks falling around the welder hard at work in front of him. Although it was pouring rain, a stray spark picked up by the wind or a bouncing bead of hot metal could ignite the now pooling oil that was floating along the wet concrete. Arturo was so locked into watching, he didn't notice the initial blast of wind until the welder himself stopped work to comment on it. That's when, finally, having a break from his responsibilities, he looked over. And near the end of the plant's small runway, a large metallic object slowly and quietly floating the last few feet before carefully landing three legs on the ground. For a moment, Arturo stared curiously at the bubble-topped elliptical object before assuming it was probably just something being moved by another Pemex crew. But that's when a completely invisible door that just moments before seemed like a solid surface opened up. Once it opened, it revealed a tall metallic figure standing inside and emerged facing the ground as it walked with both arms resting on its sides. Arturo watched, trying to make sense of this strange sight while this figure, moving with such intent and so focused on the ground, there must have been an obscene amount of weight behind each step, yet while walking, it moved in an unnaturally smooth, almost mechanical way. Still fixated on the figure, Arturo was looking at it when, quote, he raises his face, and it was like he was photographing, like something, someone taking photos, just, 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 like a model. just moving. And so, it, it's so awkward, though. Like, the descriptions of this, I'm not going to lie, were so awkward, where it's just, like, really fast, really rapid movements, and just, like, picture... If somebody's arms, right? So somebody's taking a photo. You guys are videographers, photographers, so you know this. <laughs> somebody's taking a photo, and you know how you move it in such a jerky but like level moment or like movement when you're taking photos. Mm-hmm. Picture that, but it's somebody's head. <laughs> it's it's weird, right? Well, <clears throat> Arturo, who at this point was convinced it was a worker in a strange metal suit didn't think to react when the figure in a rapid motion looked directly towards him Arturo was frankly indifferent it was his job after all to watch over the workers and prevent accidents the figure not acknowledging if it had actually seen him continued on with his snapping his, his photo-like movements making its way back towards the ship in which it first emerged. All of a sudden, an intense wind flooded in, 
pushing the trees downwards and twisting the area like a tornado while the craft silently began to rise. Okay. Yeah, right? <laughs> the shit night at work. Wait, okay, um, bye. <laughs> bye. Well, Arturo, standing in shock, was finally being hit with the full reality of what just happened. Okay, so and... this is sad, but like, I feel like <laughs> no. What? I don't feel like it's sad. Like, honestly, no, like hearing I, a story. I haven't finished my, my sentence. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, so this is sad, but like his his first thought probably was like el cartel <laughs> <laughs> like what else are you gonna think if like something crazy like that you know like oh my god a cartel is here <laughs> if a cartel showed up right like if they were getting robbed or some crazy shit was going down he'd just be like this ain't shit <laughs> like like dude is hardened after this right so it was around the moment that the the ship, the craft, began rising up that it finally dawned on him that, wait a second, there's no cranes in that part of the facility. There's nothing that could lift anything up in that part of the facility. Like I said, like at the beginning of the story, he was so focused on what he was doing that he didn't actually catch the initial like coming out of the sky portion <laughs> of this craft. He had no clue what was going on. He just looked over and kind of barely saw something happening. Moments after an intense storm had just hit the area. So like it's it's not out of the out of the norm. It's not out of the question that like, hey, maybe in my handful of months of experience, that's a suit people wear and that's something that happens. Right? So he was totally indifferent when this this like this robotic humanoid was walking around <laughs> near him and looking at things and being all weird and alien he was just like yeah it's part of my job whatever like he just was totally like ran with it and was like yeah whatever and then finally when it lifted up he was like oh fuck shit fuck shit fuck shit like he saw it rising up in the sky he's like that's that's not part of us that's not what we do here um <laughs> i mean the suit so, thing like, probably like was normal for him because they probably wear weird suits inside i mean you know it was the 70s anything's up for grabs i don't know true, true. but like <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the way he described it was like, he couldn't tell if it was a, a metallic being, right? Or if it was a being inside of a metallic suit. But the one thing that he was certain of is that whatever the hell it was, this figure was, it weighed a lot. And he actually started to feel like skeptical of the fact that like there was no wires, there were no chains there was nothing attached to this outfit which like if you think about um if you think about the folks that go near like uh lava right something like super super hot like lava and they're like picking out samples of lava to test the earth's core they have these like insane metal outfits on that are all like super shiny and this and that dude if you would have took that back to like the 60s 70s people would be like oh my god it's an alien like they'd be freaking out you know um well like you know, stuff in a situation where every single thing around you could completely, like, blow up and destroy the city. Like, you know, people are going to have weird outfits on, right? Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, you're 14. That's it. <laughs> you know, you're just like, huh? I guess that's something people wear here. 
I guess that's a thing people use here. Like he, he didn't know. He was just he was trying to do a good job at his job and like not have the town blow up. Um and it, it, literally and he, he emphasizes it wasn't until the the object that he watched hit the ground basically just moments before hit the ground wasn't until it started rising up with nothing attached to it that he was like oh shit this isn't normal (laughs) (laughs) so like maybe his uh his ignorance about the situation that was taking place like maybe it helped him out i don't know well this is where a second stage a second part starts to come in the next morning the next morning residents of pemex awoke to yet another surprise this one a little more confusing than it was frightening you see there were footprints animal tracks everywhere they were in people's yards in the alleys coming from the fields next to the runway and literally across the main street along with stamping themselves in the cement sidewalks around town people were finding them anywhere anywhere that the public could see these footprints existed and it wasn't like a small area okay so uh breaking this down for the small part of the world that uses miles this was over a half a mile of the city which is littered like if somebody went up into the clouds and just dropped glitter down and that's a footprint it was just littered with footprints everywhere so what did these footprints look like right why were they so shocking well that's where it starts to get interesting so have any pictures we don't um (laughs) they probably do exist i'm not fluent in spanish enough or with google translate to find them um these footprints the the how do i say this the base of the foot so picture a dog print right so a dog stepping in the mud right or in the in loose soil um the pad the heel right it's that but it only has three toes not super strange maybe it's a three-toed dog that just happens to only have three toes on all four of its paws right no big deal okay so where it gets weird um well one of the one of the places that it gets weird is that these footprints were etched into the cement. These footprints were etched into every single surface that they touched over a half a mile area. They were permanently a part of of the 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 town, right? Of people's day-to-day life. These footprints were in it. And they appeared after that unbelievably like ungodly like downpour that happened the night before which in some ways kind of opened it up to the fact that like i i'm you know pretty sure that uh tricksters the people pulling a hoax pulling a prank wouldn't have done it well it goes on from here that kind of um deters that thought process so along with that along with these tracks Every single TV antenna attached outside of homes, and this is in the 70s, people had those large antennas that were external from their houses and rising up, 
you know, into the sky in order to catch a signal and watch the news. Every single antenna on the routes where these tracks went were snapped at the poles. Just perfectly cut That's weird. at the poles. This is like, this is in a downtown area, right? And so people are home. They've been, just been trapped in a storm. You would notice if somebody was hanging on the side of your house, sawing at the side of the pole attached to the side of your house. And like, you might not notice, but your neighbor might notice. But your neighbor's neighbor might notice. But your neighbor across the street might see somebody hanging on the side of your house and they might notice. Like, the fact is, is that all the way down through all of these paths around the city, all these poles were snapped. And something that the children of the time, because again, this was you know 60 years ago, um, a lot of the older folks today that are uh, kind of giving their testimonies, um, you know, they're in their 60s, they're in their 70s, and they're talking about their parents' reaction to a lot of this. And they're all saying like, God damn, like my parents were pissed. Yeah. <laughs> like, like everybody in these neighborhoods and stuff, it's like my parents were so mad. And the weirdest thing, to, which kind of gives credence to this, is that the people a block over, the people next door, the people that didn't have these footprints going through their yards, these small little weird footprints, um, their antennas were fine. It was just in the path of these footprints. All the antennas were snapped. Again, this is weird as hell. I told you at the beginning. So (laughs) if that wasn't enough, the people quickly found out that something else was going on. So, there was this intense storm, uh, arguably between six to ten o'clock at night. You know, everybody saw this weird shit in the sky, air, or like in the sky. People were screaming. It was a big deal. Well, that's another thing. What I don't think people noticed that happening because then it happened at two in the morning. People were sleeping when they decided to go cut people's antennas. Maybe, but I'm gonna be honest. I don't know who in the world would have that kind of sawing arm to go down an entire block with like, I don't know, a hacksaw and saw through every single aluminum pole on an entire block for a half of a mile. Like, like, like like y'all, I'm going to be honest. Like if I have to use a hacksaw on like two, two by fours, I'm sore the next day. Who the fuck? (laughs) What kind of lumberjack Paul Bunyan motherfucker is out here that's like, I'm really into pranks tonight? Like, who does that? (laughs) And then at the same time, well, at the same time, they also have to run the prank of putting footprints everywhere. That's a lot of fucking work, dude. (laughs) Like, this city is either the most unified city in history or some shit happened. There's two choices in my mind. I feel like were they anti like they were they were they preventing people from watching TV and spending more time with family instead? That is the most abstract approach to that <laughs> political belief. I mean, it was I could only imagine. it was only like a couple blocks too. It's not like it was like the they literally went through everybody the whole town. So, I mean, yeah, it was in a half mile radius. That's still a lot. But, like, if it was, like, somebody trying to stop people from watching TV to help families get more time, I don't think that that's a... 
Well, it's just because all the the aliens that visit from the future, they're always talking about like making the world a better place. I feel like it aligns with, yeah, like in the future, people stop hanging out with each other and they're always on their phones and watching TV. So maybe this is them preventing, you know, and like maybe these families grew closer to each other because they had no cable anymore and they were spending time with each other. I think that's a great idea, but I can't imagine my dad without cable at home. That's a that's a I'm moving out. I, I think they just made the parents more mad. Yeah, that's like, what I'm, I'm saying. saying I'm like I just picture my dad without cable. God, my dad would be so pissed too. Right? Like, Who's dad? Who's dad would be like, you know what? Family time. Like, no, that's a nightmare. Think that about, is scary. Think about too that they're Hell in a no. town. <laughs> Where literally, there's nothing. They just go to work and they come home. Yeah, and yeah, their this, family is just there looking at them too, and they're like, "There's no TV," and the the dad and mom are just looking at their kids like, "I have no idea what to do. Um, should, should we just send them out in the town? No. Well, there's random packs of animals that are out there that might. Eh, that's fine. Just go out and play some soccer. Go out and play some uh." Some basketball. Go out and play something. I don't know. Get out of the house. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll make more. It's okay. Thank you for listening to the Black Cat Report and our episode on the Pemex UFO incident. This is truly a weird and strange tale of random UFOs. The Terminator, get back to the chopper, and some weird dog cryptid. Please remember to send us your show ideas to our Instagram or email at contact at blackcat.report. Now let's get back to the episode. It doesn't make sense when you take just a couple of... uh, Like, it's so easy to dismiss something so direct as that. But I will say that, like, when you take a couple of hours in context, that's when it starts to fuck with you. At least for me. Like, I I try to approach a lot of these things very rationally. I don't feel like I... I hide it when I think that a case is kind of too far out there. But this case in particular stands out to me because it was like too many things aligned. And I I really had to step back and I had to question like, okay, what am I willing to believe here? Um, Like we're talking like hundreds of people, right? And we're talking about like hundreds of newspapers, (laughs) right? Um, all reporting on these different elements, these different events. And that's what, uh, or that's how, like, Carlos Guzman, like, he steps in and he finally, since 73, right, 60 years, like, he's the first person who picked it up, took the time, and actually, like, connected the dots. And it was like, hold on a fucking second here. Which I, I as a researcher, I thought it was the most brilliant move. He didn't focus on June 1st, 1973, he also went backwards. You know, he went into May and he started looking at newspapers around the region and started getting an idea of what was happening at the time, where people were at at the time, what was on their minds. And that's when he discovered that something else had already been going on. And then something happened. I was like, damn it, that was a good move. <laughs> like, like you get so locked into a narrow data point that it's just like, you don't think like that. And 
this dude he, he's legit as fuck I'm, I'm a huge fan i can't even i can't even talk to him i'm a huge fan over here um <laughs> Straight up, though, like, you know how much money I paid to just translate what he said? I'm just saying. I'm going to send him the transcripts to get his episodes put up with the English subtitles. Dear God, other people need to see this shit. He does great work. Um, so, the people in the town, right? So, they had uh, they had woken up, stepped outside after this fucking insane night. Um you know, the wind at first and then just a massive downpour. There's a blackout and then just literally technicolor like rainbow lightning going through the sky, slowly revealing the fact that there's things moving around between the lightning. That's a stressful night for anyone, right? Um, I'm not going to lie. I would step away from that being like, well, rapture's going on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Definitely. like, got. God has uh, straight up skipped a few steps, and uh, we are at the final war. We are at the final stage <laughs> right now. Those, those are angels and demons fighting in front. Like, after all those events, who the hell wouldn't think that? I'm just saying. I would um, definitely think that. Yeah, just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, find a rosary. So, um, they step outside, they start finding these footprints. And at first, everybody's just kind of like, you know, like, what is what is going on in my yard? What are these weird markings, these weird things? About, what is this? And then they start to realize something as they, they step out from their courtyards and they start talking to each other. All of them have already been marked with a white triangle pointing in the direction that whatever animal or creature it was, was walking. So just imagine this. You step outside of your house and you just start noticing all these footprints and then you start noticing faint white triangles around every individual footprint all pointing in a direction. And you're like, what the, what the fuck? And you start walking and you see your neighbor. And you're like, did you, did you see these? And they're like, yeah, did, did you notice the triangles? And you're like, yeah, what the what the fuck? And then another person comes out. Another per- again, this is like a, a densely populated area, right? Definitely where where a lot related. of this stuff is happening. It's right in downtown. What's that? Definitely gang related. <laughs> right? You are so right. So um <clears throat> so that is when the realization comes that the gringos have flooded in. Yeah. <laughs> And by gringos, I straight up mean gringos. Um, folks around this time have a very vivid memory from all over the area. Folks that you know still live there today. Folks that have moved away. Everybody interviewed around this event have a very, very vivid memory of just after noticing the footprints and just after noticing the white triangles pointing in the direction the, the tracks were going around each individual footprint. A lot of them started to come across areas where white people who were Americans, gringos, uh, were dressed in all white suits holding small pieces of equipment that were clicking, which they would later say looked exactly like what we would see in a movie. AKA, they were quite literally trekking these footprints for radiation. They were using Geiger counters and walking around already looking at the footprints. A team, so, some group of people at some point 
had already started mapping out whatever the fuck it was moving through this town at night, right? And they already had a response team on it. And if that's not enough, the local police were helping to quarantine the area while Americans were there doing whatever the fuck they wanted. Well, this team tried, they, they, they tried as hard as they could to erase a half a mile worth of tiny footprints made by three different animals across the city. Uh, I'm laughing because obviously, who the hell is capable of doing that? That's <laughs> like, so release three release three cats in a city for 12 hours and then have your best forensic teams like go try to hunt down and erase all evidence of them good luck <laughs> like it's not going to happen so so for the locals this was a lot of just kind of like why can't we go here um what the hell's going on why are you preventing us from walking us like preventing us from walking this way or doing this or doing that like it was a lot of Honestly, like it was a lot of a uh, uh, inconvenience to their day to day life, um, which also kind of gives testimony to the reality of this event, because a lot of folks just remember it. They they might knock this, they might knock that, but they're like, God, that was so annoying when they were here. Like that's the only thing they want to talk about. And it's just like, hold on, wait, what? Who was here? And why were they here? What were they doing? And they're like, yeah, I don't believe any of that shit, but they do anyways. It was annoying. I couldn't get to the market. Like that, that it, it's those kind of the moments in the story that stand out where you're just like, hold on a second. <laughs> you don't believe any of the other shit, but you know a bunch of people in hazmat suits showed up, quarantined an area, and told you that, you know, basically you'd be shot if you continued down the street. You remember that part, but you don't believe in it. Okay, yeah, that's cool. That makes sense. Whatever. Um, so, <laughs> all right. <laughs> to each their own. So, Local police uh, helping to keep people back. So this crew, like, I, to give you an idea, like, this went on for a while. These footprints were were quite literally, like, like permanently stained into any cement or asphalt-type surface that they got in, which might not be insane to, like, think, it might not be a reach to think about today. Like, today we could think about, like, ways that you would clean asphalt, that ways that you would clean cement quite literally didn't exist in any sense in the popular mind in the 70s right this was like what what the fuck's going like some kids out in ciudad pemex did not run this as a prank like it's just not an option for them okay they didn't go through and clean tens of thousands of perfectly shaped footprints all over a city moments after a thunderstorm and then outline them in in white triangles and then dress as folks in hazmat suits and then hire the police to stand outside of that area and then threaten to shoot like how far do you want to go with like this is a hoax you know like honestly like looking into so many different points it's like wait hold on hold on a second you bet yeah some kids did it well, yeah, some kids did it, and then they did this. And it's like, how much do you want to snowball that? Like, before you actually start to sound more insane than the story itself. Like, what? <laughs> so, so this is the thing. The the folks in hazmat suits, the different teams that came out, the gringos, um, 
they started trying different chemicals and they started trying as hard as they could to erase these footprints all over the city. And surprise, surprise, 99% of the time they couldn't do it. For the few cases where they could do it in public areas, they ended up using sulfuric acid directly on the street. <laughs> that was their best option. <laughs> Shout out Tim. You'll know what I mean. Um, so the rest of the time, in the footprints they were able to find, because there was a lot, um, they proceeded to cut and remove sections of the concrete, sections of the cement from walkways, from pathways around. The, they just straight up went up with cement saws, cut out the section where the footprint was, and take it with them. Weird. And locals were, this whole time, like a lot of locals, even locals that didn't see a damn thing, were like, that was annoying. Like, that's their response to what happened. Was there like, it was so annoying. Squares were missing from the cement. Like, I mean, that's that their memory annoying. of that. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> so, so they start removing pieces of the sidewalk because they can't remove these, these footprints, which have just sunk in like permanently all across the area. Well, Anyways, these, these footprints, after many rains, after exposure to the weather, would go on to become, uh, they basically last for months, months and months and months. All these gringos coming in from the States had no idea what the locals were seeing on a regular basis, and the locals are like, who the hell are you, slash police are threatening to shoot us if we come near you so we can't even talk to you. So locals were finding these footprints everywhere, and gringos were like slowly becoming aware of like, oh, they're over here, oh, they're over here here um but the point is, is like by the time that the the cleanup crews left um there were so many footprints left in this city like they were just all over the place still right they they, they tried so hard to clean everything up but couldn't find everything and How folks got used pictures? to it there are but like i said i'm not savvy enough to search for them i'm just so so uh Ciudad Pemex is technically located in Tabasco, but you try going on Google and looking up Tabasco. Oh, yeah. um, you are not going to find anything <laughs> besides a bunch of bottles of hot sauce. Um, anyways, so so these footprints were ever that they lasted for months, and it got to a point where um, parents were telling their kids and the parents themselves would avoid walking near these footprints on their day-to-day -day routes through town. They, they thought that the footprints were radioactive. It became a cultural thing because it lasted. They, they lasted so damn long. Um, well, there was a blowback to all this, right? So word spread. And... In the time immediately following the incident, reporters, researchers, and curious tourists flooded into the town, including the father of Mexican ufology, Valle Pedro Ferez. Um, and so, if you don't know who he is, he was actually the person behind the first um, ufological congress that ever took place back in, let me check my notes here. 1977. Um, he was also close friends with, let's just go down the list here of a lot of folks that have been name dropped on the show. Jacques Vallée, John Keel, Salvador Ferrito, uh, 
Fabio Serba, Enrique Castilla Ricon, Walter Andres, J. Allen Hynek, um, William Spaulding, and Ray Stanford. All a lot of very big um, heavy hitters in the world of ufology. This dude was connected to them. And so he showed up. He spent weeks going through this town, looking at all the evidence that he was finding. Things slowly faded into obscurity. They slowly faded into very, very strange beliefs, very strange um, acclamations of the events <clears throat> that took place. And th honestly, this case is still ongoing. Um, Guzman has been doing an excellent, excellent job digging into it, kind of like bringing it back up to the surface. And this is still developing. Like, we... We don't have a complete conclusion. We don't have a complete ending. We don't have a, a complete Roswell at this moment. But somehow <laughs> I came across this. I started looking into the details and I became fascinated. Um, we are officially the second English-speaking podcast that has even covered this topic. And I think we're in the top eight, eight or nine Spanish-speaking podcasts. Um, right, so there's there's only eight or nine in Espanol that are actually like talking about this, um, but with the small amount of details that we have presented here, uh, right, so the small amount of things that are nailed down, it seems a little far fetched. It seems a little disconnected, but but I'm gonna tell you from like looking at how the puzzle pieces are coming together that this has the same the same sinew, the same connections that, that a situation such as Roswell has, where you have a boy who remembers his dad coming home and saying, you're never going to see anything like this again and showing a memory memo medal, which now becomes a big situation. And then you have a rancher who goes out and does this. And it's like, there's three or four things that eventually over the course of, of decades get so meticulously outlined and become a narrative that's easy to digest. But at first... It's a lot of loosely connected moments. And that's what that's what Guzman's doing with the story. And um yeah, I, I just would not be surprised if in twenty years this is a major case. This is something people are talking about, this is something people are trying to explain. And um I'm just grateful that through luck and through Guzman we're able to present it to you this week. So the whole the whole lightning thing makes it seem mm -hmm. like it was like war of the worlds when all those little aliens were getting shot down into the water in the in their in cases so it just sounds like there's some crazy amounts of stuff happening in this random place in this random time and it's crazy to to think that that the men in black weren't like seen as well because usually yeah. around high strangeness they're the they're the next but maybe they were there maybe as they well were there, yeah. yeah and they were in white this time you know in white coats <laughs> in mexico it's the men in white um <clears throat> going down there uh trying to fix things but it does seem crazy that you know people and you're right talking about that that even people who are like non-ufo people were just like there's these stupid people here you know affecting our daily life and then you know also affecting our walking because i can just imagine like 30 years or you know 20 years down the down the way like somebody's just walking and trips off of a, a missing you know piece of concrete on there it's like damn it 
not again. It's like 120. <laughs> it's been 20 years. They need to fix this. You know? Dude, it's... it. That was a consistent... Yes. I... I really, like, I connected really hardcore with, like, Guzman, like, he, he can, he was so, he's so good at connecting all these small inconsistencies between people's stories that completely disagree with each other. Like, on the surface, and even a few steps back from that, like, they're so separated, but he was like, oh, wait, boom, 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 boom. Like, he's a damn good researcher. Um... And he looks like a cool uncle that would like offer you green tea while wearing a sweater vest and having a book <laughs> on the table about UFOs. Like he has that vibe. He's he's so cool. Um, but yeah, Guzman like put this together, and I can't begin to tell you um, how many trees I've contributed to the murder of by printing off bullshit related to this case. The th- the handful of cases or pieces of evidence or I guess articles about this case that I was printing off at first, no matter what language I was going through online, I've just thrown them all away when I got to Guzman. I was like, Oh shit, you actually did some work. You're not just talking. Like people have said the most insane shit, like pick a conspiracy theory and uh, pick a favorite alien type. And it somehow relates back to this obscure case. Nobody's, heard of everybody's just basically throwing darts at him being like that's what happened that's what happened okay cool and like Guzman was like wait but what did happen because everybody there ed says something happened even though nobody agrees you know um like there was there was seriously like that one of the like mainstream quote-unquote like one of the major newspapers um in mexico was like reporting on an anniversary of this event that there was like fifteen foot tall creatures walking through the city, just like way the fuck out from like anything that anybody was saying. Like, it, it's so detached, but like that somehow makes a cryptid and UFO landing more likely. If that makes sense, like I almost like picture. I couldn't like read through the experience of like the metallic figure like walking off the ship without picturing it just kind of being like, come here, Sparks, come here, Sparks, come here, Sparks. And that's why he was just looking at the ground. He's like looking for his lost puppy. Like, come here. <laughs> no, I just, <laughs> I just picture the Tin Man getting off the, you know, just like the door opening of the spaceship and then the Tin Man being like, oh, da, 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 da. <laughs> I need some oil. So, you had to stop and get some oil from the, the gas fields. That's not wow, that they do like, that. I mean, maybe. It was... Um, <clears throat> so, something that is trippy that I discovered researching this episode. S- 1973 might be the most active year for UFOs and abductions and um, close contact with uh, extraterrestrials. Like... The list is insane. I I can guarantee if you look up like 1973 UFO, you start like looking that up and like finding the list, you're gonna be like, oh, I've heard about that. I've heard about that. I wait a second. I heard about. Wait, I, I heard about most. What the fuck? They're all 19 like 73. Like I I can't believe I've been so dumb that I haven't made that connection. Like so many of these major events have happened in 1973, and to boot in Alabama. United States in 1973, 
another person completely disconnected from Pemex, New Mexico, or New, uh, Mexico. I, I know that's hard to believe. I know Pemex, Mexico, and Alabama, they're like brother-sister. You know what I'm saying? But like in an Alabama sense. They're, they're kissing right upon each other. So they're like, <laughs> yes. Um, but um, damn it. Our rankings just dropped. Um, so um, anyways, they reported an almost identical being. An almost identical creature walking off of an almost identical craft that same goddamn wow. year. Mm-hmm. Like, there were so many. Ugh, I don't know. We need to do like the year of the humanoids. That's all I'm gonna say. Because there was like a weird year where it just seems like. What was history then? Hmm. We landed on the moon in '69, right? This is four years after that. Uh, Vietnam seventy one is that when it ended? Going off the top you of my head. You should know this, babe. I don't remember what happened in seventy. It was the early seventies. Uh, Vietnam just ended, but I mean that only make that only matters to us. Um, the I don't know the time period between like nineteen forty five and seventy three is really not that long, you know. It's like less than 20 years. With the first atomic bomb. I can Google this. Yeah. And like, if we really did just put a beacon out to the universe and to every um, sentient thing out there, they're like, hey, we're getting close to hanging out with you. Um, So Richard Nixon was a president. What did he do? Oh. (laughs) Um, We need to dedicate a show to that. Um, So... Oh, it's the Cold War, UK and Iceland. I mean, the Cold War. Yeah. Cod what War. Is, what is a Cod? The Cod War what? happened, and the aliens were just like, "You need to leave those cod alone, UK and Iceland." Oh, Alaska oil pipeline bill is passed to allow constructions of a pipeline to access oil from the north slope of Alaska. So. The aliens were probably trying to stop that. I personally think that they all bet against Secretariat to become the first horse to win the Triple Crown. And they were pissed because they bet against them. And then the oil guy was... Then the aliens were like, well, you know, you lost the bet, so you have to go dress up in this big metal suit and go scare some people in the in the world. And also, Yum Kippur War and Oil embargo a lot of oil related stuff because also the united states ends its involvement in the vietnam war after the signing of the paris peace accords yeah aliens are pissed thanks for listening to the black cat report and our episode on the pemex ufo incident This wild and crazy tale of high strangeness brought out all the characters out of the woodwork, even a cameo from the men in black, or white. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you on the other side.